as a founder, you can be very good in a lot of things, but ultimately at some point, though, like every specific skill, if it ends up being important to the business over the long term, becomes so important that it needs the basically full time focus of, of somebody. And so if you're not the bottleneck, uh, it means one of two things. It means either that you are not recruiting people who are better than you, uh, which is kind of an identity problem for a founder. Um, or it means that you haven't really, uh, that particular skill set is something that you don't understand completely. And so, you know, you should, I always, I always say that like, you need to know as a founder, everything in your company well enough to know who not to hire for it. Because, you know, you sit down, if you don't speak, it's like speaking a language, you sit down with somebody and you don't speak the language, it's very hard to kind of, when they communicate, to understand what they're saying, what is right and what is wrong. And so you kind of get into the mode where you need to learn about everything enough where you can evaluate. Welcome to my new favorite conversation, episode 152 with Brandon Kleinman, founder of Birthday App. Brandon is a seasoned entrepreneur. He launched two businesses already, one that he sold, and the other one became the largest home staging business in the world. Birthday App is his third venture. He is on a mission to make celebrating birthdays easier. According to him, if you're not becoming the bottleneck in your business, where you reach a stage you can fire yourself, then something is wrong. That is the start of a conversation. And trust me, Brandon doesn't hide anything. He is a wealth of practical insights about entrepreneurship. You really don't want to miss this episode. And while you're at it, you should log on my website and download the Bottleneck Index, the only tool in the world that helps you identify and tackle your entrepreneur bottlenecks. You can find the link in the show notes. Now... Grab a pen and a piece of paper and enjoy the conversation. Hi, Brandon. Thank you very much for joining me today. <clears throat> Good to see you uh, across the world, right? <laughs> yes. So from Los Angeles to Helsinki and Finland. <laughs> from not, very many, not, many, not many direct flights that way. No. <laughs> <laughs> so you are, uh, if I'm not mistaken, a three-time funder. You had like a Laurel and Wolf, Showroom Inc., and now Birthday App, if I'm That's correct. right. Well, three times, three times made it. There have been other ideas in the past, but let's, we'll stick with three times. Okay. And when we first chatted, uh, I took a note because I, I thought it was really interesting. You said, so I got, if you're not becoming the bottleneck in your business, where you reach a stage you can fire yourself, then something is wrong. Do you remember that? Of course. I believe in it. <laughs> Why is it so important for you? It's one of these ideas, or one of the guiding principles, is you're generalist to your specialist, right? Um, and so as a founder, you can be very good at a lot of things. But ultimately, at some point, though, like every specific skill, if it ends up being important to the business over the long term, becomes so important that it needs the basically full-time focus of, of somebody. And so... If you're not the bottleneck, uh, it means 
one of two things. It means either that you are not recruiting people who are better than you, which is kind of an identity problem for a founder, um, or it means that you haven't really, uh, that particular skill set is something that you don't understand completely. And so, you know, you should, I always, I always say that like, you need to know as a founder, everything in your company well enough to know who not to hire for it. Yeah. Because, you know, you sit down, if you don't speak, it's like speaking a language and you sit down with somebody and you don't speak the language, it's very hard to kind of, when they communicate, to understand what they're saying, what is right and what is wrong. And so you kind of get into the mode where you need to learn about everything enough where you can evaluate whether or not they can do the task you want. And so your job is to do that in every single major skill and then find somebody who just is obsessed with whatever that thing they have to solve for is. And yeah, that's that's kind of how I see it. So, but when do you know when it's time to find so? Well, you know, if that was easy, this whole, there wouldn't be a, 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 <laughs> wouldn't be a bunch of podcasts on it. It'd just be done. Um, I think that that's the, the hardest part. It's that like, uh, it's not even when you need to do it. It's when like, you know, a lot of the stuff you don't really know until kind of historically it's like, and what is the, the I think it's Steve Jobs quote. It's like, you can only connect the lines looking backwards. You can never co- connect or you can only connect the dots looking backwards. And so don't get too down on yourself or don't think too hard about it. Is this the exact time to hire for this? Mm. I think you want to do is if you can afford it and if it's critical to your business, you always want to be trying to find somebody who's great and you end up finding that it's much more important to find very good people who understand the thing than it is to fill a role with the person who may not be the cultural fit or may not kind of raise the company. And so I think what it is, is once you understand the role, even if you're not hiring for it, you should be talking to as many people as you can who are really obsessed and could potentially be great in that thing. And what ends up happening is, you know, sometimes you make a higher longer than you in longer than you want but often what will happen is you'll meet somebody who you cannot believe exists as far as like talent or fit for what you want to do and i think that that's probably the moment it's less about the company more about is this person as long as you can afford it is this person going to make everything better and so it's it's kind of a gray process i wouldn't think about it as much as the role as much as finding you know great people and understanding how to evaluate them around the thing that you're trying to solve for. You said something interesting. You said, as long as you can afford it. And uh, I want to uh, touch base on that because this is this is a big issue. What what if you can't afford it? Well, it's tough. I think that that's a little more complicated than it would seem. There's obviously, you know, when you historically talk about this kind of stuff, you're thinking about cash, right? Yeah. What it costs to do it. But there's other vectors of affordability. You know, if... Sometimes you can't tell, but it could be you're so trash at a certain skill set or you're so rudimentary in this thing that you kind of only sort of understand that that is the bottleneck. A little shout out to the title, the bottleneck <laughs> of, uh, of growth. And yeah. so there's, a, there's, you know, there's current looking affordability. And this is not a great example. It's one of my favorite stories, but um, nah, it's not actually a good fit story. But what I was going to say was you basically have to this or sometimes you get like sometimes you basically have to mortgage the future Mm. but you gotta make a bet maybe that's a better way to describe it and so if you're hiring right or you're hiring somebody and this particular problem is critical to your business 
it often should sometimes one plus one equals three and yeah. sometimes you chat and sometimes honestly you do it and you evaluate it and then you kill it like you know one of the things that makes this hard it's not it's tactically hard to build a business for sure but i think the harder thing is that you're constantly having to double back on things that worked before that are not working in the future or things that you have 40 percent of the information and so from the affordability perspective like there's not an answer it's probably more just go with your gut take risks test as much as you can but be as willing to test something as you are to kind of evaluate whether or not it's working but there's no real great formula actually there is one great formula find a find a business in a field that's growing so fast that even if you do a c minus job at building your business <laughs> the wave is getting so big i'm serious like, look at the yeah. biggest outcomes for some of these companies in retrospect, you'll see that like some of the people that we consider the best entrepreneurs of all time were mostly just riding the right wave. And yeah. so you'll find that a growing market is much, much, much better than being uh, a, an elite operator as far as uh, kind of forgivability, forgiveness or forgivability uh, when you start to make these types of bets. Yeah, it's it's true. But don't you, don't you think you have to be passionate also about what you do though? I always get tripped up on that. Okay. Interesting. I, yeah, I think, cause I think about all of the companies that I've personally built, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm not exaggerating. I have this like funny personal story. Like I now have this beautiful house in Los Angeles. You can't see, but you know, I like kitchens amazing, like very design forward. And I understand design. But the first day that I started Laurel and Wolf using the interior design marketplace, my poor girlfriend at the time, like it was basically like a frat house, my apartment. Like I didn't know anything about design. I didn't have a passion for design. And so, but what I found getting into it is I like design now based on just being around it and kind of via osmosis. But the, like the, the problems of building a marketplace and mm -hmm. like figuring out how to sequence things and figuring out how to think about uh, capital allocation and how to really, really solve kind of the problems for small individual designers across the country like became passions for me and so when people talk about passions i think they get tripped up on like do i like in my case do you like design and it's like i like design i don't think that like my life it would be committed to it but i think you can find energy from the problems that you're solving yeah um <clears throat> and then kind of the last point on that this is a little bit dark i know this podcast doesn't always have a dark theme I find personally, and I, I, when I'm looking to hire people, I think about this a lot. People who are really good, especially at the like the unre like unreasonable founder and executive level, normally have some type of insecurity or a hole that happened when they were young. That they, it's basically it's unreasonable to build these things. To build yeah. a startup that is, we have to stick with for four years that has an uncertain outcome. That like you basically go to all the dinner parties and like you can't really tell anybody because nobody understands what the fuck you're doing. Uh, like it's unreasonable to stick with this for all those years. And I have found historically that you need an unreasonable person, an unreasonable reason mm. in order to do that. And so passion's important, but I think there's like, you need somebody who's, it's habitual, who like they need it. Like people don't, people who want startups don't build great startups. People who actually believe early on that it's like they will die if they don't find a way to do this. And so I guess that's a passion. It's a passion for fixing yourself, but it wasn't the passion I don't think you're asking for. 
Yeah, but you know, after after talking uh, with uh, more than 150 entrepreneurs like yourself on this podcast and coaching clients, I really believe that entrepreneurship is a calling. It's like it's, it is. You have it, you have it, or you don't. But that's what I'm saying. I don't yeah. know that it's about. I don't think that the passion is about the job itself. Yeah, I think the passion is about feeling something inside of you that allows you to do stuff that is just unreasonable for an mm-hmm. unreasonable amount of time for often unreasonable kind of rewards. And so I guess I was just finding distinction, this idea that it's passion, but it's not passion for your field. It's not passion for like getting rich for the sake of it. There's something else that is just on fire in most very good entrepreneurs that sometimes unhealthy, but like sometimes you need that. Yeah. Is that, is that why you became an entrepreneur? Because you were on fire? Ah, I should have. I should have known that I was going to get Uh Yeah, I think without going too deep in the boring, you know, the, the sure. audience, I think that like, uh, <clears throat> I grew up getting into some trouble. Uh, I grew up with a lot of energy and not a great ability to channel it correctly. Mm-hmm. And I think I found this to be a pretty common theme amongst entrepreneurs. At some point in your childhood, if you feel like you can't compete with, uh, on the regular way, like maybe you don't get good grades or maybe like you can't pay attention in class, you kind of get these two choices. Either you're too, like, too stupid or can't compete with what is important to the community, or you have to change the rules and go be the best at like this other game Mm. that like nobody else is playing. And so you end up getting these entrepreneurs who really young, like felt rejected or felt kind of out of place who practice this other kind of like, whether it's being funny, whether it's building businesses, they practice this other game for 10 years, 15 years, while everybody else is doing all the, and then by the time they're in their late teens or twenties, they have this weird ass skill set that looks exotic. And suddenly everybody who played kind of the regular game is like, wow, yeah, that person's so interesting and talented. And it's not because that we're innately talented. It's because we are practicing this other thing that nobody else was practicing. And so I think I fall into that bucket. Uh, I could, you know, it's not very succinct, but does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Yeah. And so yeah. that's what I think. I think I practiced a different game growing up. And by the time I became an adult, all of my skills were basically suited to kind of do these types of intense, I want to call it high risk, but call it high uncertainty ventures. So, so as I mentioned, you, it's your, your third venture. I think you uh, sold one, I believe. First, and first one, no, and the other one's do- and the other one's doing very well, or it exists yeah. in the U.S. Yeah, exa- exactly. I think you said it's the largest home staging business in the world, or something like that. It is. Yeah, so it's doing pretty well, indeed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you, after the third time, with two successes behind you, do do you find it as as difficult as before? Or has has anything changed? I mean, everything's changed. Yeah. You know, I think the only consistency is uh, what's the old the joke, uh, the great joke entrepreneur court. We don't uh, we don't do this because uh, it's easy. We do this because we think it's easy. Yeah, like <laughs> you know, the beginning is always I'm cocky as hell. I'm like, oh, this is just going to be this simple. Like, why does nobody see it? It's always really hard. I've raised a ton of capital. I think I've raised almost a hundred million dollars between my three companies at this point. And every single time you go out to raise capital, you have that one moment where you're like, oh, I forgot that this is like an inexact science that like you have to figure out. I think 
the motivation is different in all of them. It goes from, can I do it? To, can I repeat it? To, did I get lucky? I think would be one of the things. And so it kind of goes back to what some before. I think you only keep doing it if you're still doubting that you can do it. But yeah, it's always hard. There literally is no, and the best part is everything, all of like, you run into this problem when your companies get big too, but I think it also when you start a new company, a lot of the times the things that made whatever you did before really successful, uh, like the habits and the assumptions that work tend to not be the correct ones for the next thing. And so you're racing out to solve something while mm. also racing to kind of untangle uh, all of the stuff that worked before that like you're not kind of considering tech. You're just assuming it's going to work again. It's almost as if your successes end up becoming your biggest threats at every single company, at every single stage of growth, because it's tough when something works. You just want to keep doing it. And it turns out that both from, you know, a company from 1 million to 100 million, that those, what worked at one doesn't work at 100. But it also turns out that even between a home staging uh, company and a interior design marketplace, that those are, even though there's furniture there, they're not the same businesses. And the assumption, Mm -hmm. double time between a home staging company and an app that gives everybody their birthday and creates like a lovely gifting e-commerce experience. So- that's that's a, that's an interesting uh, aspect. Uh, do you have any uh, ex- examples you can share with us so that we uh, understand better what you're talking about here? Yeah, I mean, it's funny. Like we can kind of connect back to what you were talking in the beginning. Yeah. But early on in business, as a CEO especially, your job is to be making decisions at the smallest level because you need mm-hmm. to know how things work in the smallest level. You kind of have to be a bit of a cowboy, you know. Really, in the early stages, you have so much less information than because whether you don't have scale or whether you haven't been doing it for a long time, you know, you basically have to kind of watch and go with your gut, see if something works, right? But what happens when you start getting, you know, call from 1 million to 50 million in revenue is you have some information, uh, whether it's on how the sales pipeline works or how to, you know, reduce uh, for the business, for the birthday app, you know, we know exactly. It used to be getting the algorithm to be more accurate was an amazing way to increase customer experience, right? And then it turned out what people really wanted was they wanted other ways to celebrate their friends and other ways to like just have a reason to go and reach out to somebody, right? Mm-hmm. And so you get into this moment where the instinct is to, you know, go fix the algorithm. It's like growth is stalling a little bit. Um, but we have the data at this point. You don't have to guess anymore. And so you just have these biases because something worked really well earlier in the game to, okay, let's go back. It, it, not only did it work, it made me feel good. Like I was making yeah. progress and, you know, like even little things like the, the, the staging business where it's, you know, if you're trying to, you know, like what hiring one person does to the sales team. And instead of just handing that over and having a playbook, you still want to tweak it like you did in the early days. And so also attitude stuff. I think that, you know, there's this, I didn't make it up. There's obviously Dunbar's number of how many people you can have relationships with, but you find as companies get bigger, the style of communication that you can have with 50 employees versus 350 employees, right? Is completely different. And, you know, what came off as accessible and direct comes off as arrogance when you don't have this prior relationship as your company gets bigger. And so these are just kind of 
disparate examples. But when contexts change, a lot of the time, the things that really made you feel like a great founder or builder actually become things that sort of kill can kill company culture or kill company process or even kill company product. And so it's very hard to learn to be good at things and then not hold the things that worked for you previously so precious. So the uh, doubt is still there with you, even after much experience. Yeah, I think, I mean, depending what day you catch me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think I think yesterday, uh, I actually was the first entrepreneur of the history of time to figure out everything perfect forever. And then <laughs> this morning, a couple of questions creeped up, so... No, but this is, this is, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm the same. I'm only a solopreneur. And I, it's, it's really for me hearing, hearing that you have the same doubt as me, although you're a lot more experienced and a lot more successful than me. Uh, it's different. It's really I, have, I haven't, I haven't interviewed a hundred people. So you're killing me. True, in that true, true, true. But it's, it's very comforting because we're not the only one that's and that's the reason why this podcast exists is because i want to tell those 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 stories like that outside you know you're not yep. you're not the only one i'd actually take it one step further i actually think the second you stop doubting yourself all of this stops like i don't believe there is a healthy company that exists or a healthy founder that exists that doesn't ride have to ride the roller coaster i just it kind of goes back to what we we're talking about before I think the desire to keep doing this kind of stuff for a long period of time is this. I think that if it was if it was clean, if it was more and more cons- it was more consistent. I just don't think that this works that way. So what I guess what I'm trying to say is like it's a feature, it's not a bug. The only reason we pay attention so deeply to the things we do is we have these pangs of insecurity that we're not doing enough. I just don't think that we care as much if that's not there. It's a great it's a great point. I'm going to Reflect on that next time I, I feel insecure and I doubt. <laughs> it's like your brain being like, instead of saying try harder, it's like yeah. I'm not enough. And, you know, it's, I said, I have a dog and my dog's eight, my pit bull is turning 18 this year, right? And he was the worst behaved high energy dog you've ever met when I got him. And for the first, I don't know, year, when I say to listen to anything, like I could, it's, it, there's no overstating that. And one time he got out in a very busy street in Los Angeles and I couldn't catch him for like 20 minutes, right? And I couldn't figure out what to do. I had treats in my hand and you know what got him uh, back in the house? No. I ran, I ran in the opposite direction. Really? And he chased me. And so I think that that's what your brain is doing. Instead of yeah. saying try harder, it's yeah. saying that, oh yeah, that guy over there said that you're probably a shitty entrepreneur. <laughs> you're like, oh, really? And then you know, said <laughs> 20 hours and a tiny detail to prove they're not. So I think yeah. that it's your brain, you know, running the other way. So you chase it. <laughs> it's a great, it's a great point. So, so what about today? I, I, are you in a position where you can uh, fire yourself or where you should fire yourself again? Um, only companies have been different. I would yeah. never, I mean, I'm firing myself from different roles, certainly. I would say that, like, you know, we have a small team. We're a, a very pure play software business this time around. The other two, you know, in a marketplace, there's a bunch of things. It's a software play, but you're all, we are also helping a lot of products on the home staging business. It's mostly technology as logistics and manufacturing, mm. uh, and then a sales business. But for this, we built, I mean, I guess I'll tell you about a birthday app, the thing that makes it amazing 
is that we're the first people ever. You just install our app and we tell you everybody's birthday in your phone, even if you don't know it. And so we found a way that like, basically you just download our app and all of the love that you have to the Facebook birthday calendar, we don't even use Facebook, just appears in your phone. So every morning it tells you, you know, not only is it nice to see that whose birthday it is, but every morning you see two or three friends' names that you haven't thought about in six months. And out of the two or three, one of them, you're like, oh, I'm going to text that person. And so, you know, my belief is, or our belief is, we built this, is that there's all these amazing product companies out there that have gifts, have things that you want to give your friends, but it's really hard for them because you have to basically run into the product two weeks before you have to buy the thing or else you just don't remember the product, right? Mm. Context as to, is this, you know, when, can you, I don't know if you're married or not, but like, you know, if your wife's birthday is coming up, you don't remember something nine months out and then keep it. And then two weeks before what happens is the few weeks before her birthday, you'll end up seeing something and you'd be like, oh, I got to yeah. do that. And so instead of solving, you know, all of these, um, this problem that I think people have done a great job with and building good gifts, my belief was if I can create an experience for people that help them stay on top of these moments of celebration, and there's, you know, obviously vision for big time expansion, mm-hmm. then we could provide a place for all of these awesome products to meet the people that would love to get them. And so that was, is a distribution solution. And so, yeah, uh, firing myself. Um, I'm currently deep, 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 deep diving into all the great products that we're talking about, you know, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's flowers from some of the big flower companies out here. We have 100 flowers, we have Teleflora, we have Bloom Nation, you know, there's all, so I'm learning about not only what you can give, how long does it take to get there on average to like the last decimal and you know what holidays there's all this rich data and so i'm currently essentially evaluating all of this stuff with the hopes that sometime at the end of december or sometime in january i get to fire myself from the gifting role and only because i'm going to get to hire somebody who thinks about this stuff you know day in and day out and obsessed mm-hmm. with that so it's a long answer but with the uh, you know kind of context as to stuff how I inspire myself in the future. Man, that's a great, that's a great answer. What, what, what have you learned about yourself since you're on the entrepreneur? Ooh, I'll tell you what I'm thinking about now. <laughs> and I'm sorry, guys. I get really philosophical, mostly because I'm obsessed with understanding why people do things. Everyone yeah. in my company has been a psychological experiment in why people do things. In like, mm. is there a way to make them better, or is there a way to kind of add stuff to it? And so what I've been thinking about now is some of the stuff that we talked about is, you know, these ideas on motivation, motivation for myself. What makes me keep doing this? Most of my friends who have sold companies ended up going into venture capital or like kind of like, you know, hitting the neutral. And I have, I don't have any interest in that. Like I like, I always joke, I like the intellectual violence of all this stuff, but I've been thinking about both my own motivation and my team, I have this amazing team. Our tech team is incredible. You know, Will and Ben, and then Drew is who's doing. He's a generalist on our team, mm. but he he's doing a lot of our press, a lot of our kind of vendor talks and stuff like that. But everybody on the team has a dream, right? Whether they want to be an entrepreneur, or they just want to be really, really good at what they do. Mm. And so I've been reflecting a lot about how to quickly understand 
and uh, internalize like what is motivating each one of the people individually, not systematically individually, and try to find ways to not even not or like honestly try to find ways to structure what they're doing to make it feel like they're making progress to like what they want out of out of their own lives. And so, yeah, I guess what I learned about myself is that like most of this stuff is projection and motivation. I'm uh, sorry, projection and like how you feel about yourself when it comes to motivating people. So yeah, that's kind of been what I've been focused on the last two weeks or a little bit more obsessed with. Do you think you will ever stop? You know, people ask that. Do you think you'll ever stop? I'll answer in a second. Do you think you'll ever stop? Oh, you asked you ask me? Yeah. At one point I would I would like. Yes. What would you do afterwards? Crossfit all day long? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that's it's a great it's a great answer because like do you think you'd become as obsessed with CrossFit as you yeah. are about and so it's just yeah. the same thing. You're just finding a new kind of thing to be unreasonable about. Like I think that that's kind of I have a similar answer to you. Mm. I like this mostly because I get to meet new people and like I get to feel like a beginner all the time, but both for good and bad. Like there are a lot of days. We're just like, God damn, you're an idiot, Brandon. <laughs> uh, but I find normally there's a correlation between feeling like that, call it one day every eight or nine days, and basically just staying young, staying alert, like learning stuff, being interesting at dinner parties and stuff like that. And so maybe I'll stop building businesses, but I think that kind of to your point of the CrossFit, the unreasonable energy of mm-hmm. just being obsessive about random ass things. I'd probably get buried. I'll probably stop as soon as, you know, everybody is, uh, everybody's eating cookies and telling stories about what I was when I was alive. <laughs> great, great, great answer. Good, good. You challenged me also on that, on that question, on that question, with that question. Yeah. And a lot about the unreasonable. It reminds me of this book called Unreasonable Hospitality. I forgot who is the uh, author. Danny Meyer. Dan Meyer is the guy who did Shake Shack. It's very hit. Yeah. But that's a great example. The dude is a theft. Like to a point that like I would never, ever, ever be able to wake up and then uh, work till 4 a.m. and then wake up again at 7 to go clean the restaurant. And like it's Mm -hmm. not Danny Meyer is smart. Is there something weird about him that like makes him need, need to devote his life to this thing? That's why he's great. He just put the time in and like he thinks it's more important than everybody else. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Love it. Is there anything though that you would have done differently? I'm sure there is, there are a lot of, a lot of things, but do you remember like a couple of things, a couple of nuggets? Yeah, I do. I'll give three, I could two. Uh, don't be greedy. I mm. had a couple of moments where I optimized for trying to make the most money on some deals. And there hasn't been a single time in my career where I've optimized strictly for the most money that hasn't bit me in the butt. Um, it's, it, it, it's tough. Like you see a lot of money on the table and you want to, you know, it seems like the prize. It seems like the finish line uh, on this thing, but don't use money as a complete vector, whether it's evaluating partners for who you want to work with, whether it's, uh, integrity stuffs on kind of different parties. Whether it's just like what feels right, optimizing for money seems historically to be tough in, in, in deal making, which isn't to say don't chase like a lot of money or the most money, but just make sure 
you're kind of looking at the whole thing and not getting starry-eyed about uh, the money i've got this there's a great quote it's an asshole quote like it's it's it sounds really uh it's one of my favorite books of all time it's called the kid stays in the picture it's about a hollywood producer named robert evans um and he used to say he didn't mean it the way that i took it but he used to say planning is for poor people um which is like he was you know being funny about it but it's this idea that often i'm not saying don't plan but often planning is either self-protection or rationalization to kind of avoid going out there and getting your butt kicked or feeling like you're going to fail because most plans you know the other great quote is everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face which is mike dyson um and so i would always 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 tell myself like if you feel like you're planning for any type of extended amount of time you're probably doing it to avoid kind of the pain of like going and doing something and so plan a little bit less would be the other thing especially if you're doing a business that involves coordinating a lot of people yeah i think that it's really easy to you know over plan yeah it's a, it's actually a great advice what i what i see a lot is also people uh tend to plan or over plan like you said because they want to feel in control That's and, they exactly, try, yeah. and they try to control the outcomes Unfortunately, you can't control your cuts. <laughs> Honestly, you're just, you're just, it's like soccer. You're just, you're just running out the clock before yeah. you go run a play. Like that's the only thing. Time goes away and maybe it, like you get more lucky from waiting, but you just have, you have just as much of a chance of getting less lucky for waiting. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Oh, I'll give one more. That's a good one. Okay. This go one's on. really, this one's really, I still don't have a solution to this. So sorry, guys. But, Deciding to do nothing is actually a decision in itself, and it is yeah. okay. There is this instinct as a you know a lifetime founder that we need to be always moving, always choosing, always changing. And I think as maybe that's the thing that like, as you get more experienced, like that you get good at, maybe that's the only thing that becomes slightly easier when you build these businesses, mm. which is the feeling, not only the intellectual understanding but the physical understanding that doing nothing. Uh, as a decision is actually an okay decision sometimes oh that's a deep that's a deep why it's so so true because like so like hard. you say we always yeah because it's so unreasonable we always want to build something we I, I'm, I'm thinking about a friend right now well i had lunch with him today i need i need to, to tell him that you <laughs> <laughs> struggle with it all the time man i will you know done is not good enough ever and so yeah and about you he, you got, do you have one? What would you do if you've done how many interviews? 157? 150, uh, more than 150. I don't, I'm, I'm not sure exactly. So what would you do different? For me? Yeah. In my, in my journey? Yeah. Specifically for this one thing, for your interview series, what would you do different? Oh, I would have started earlier for definitely, definitely. I would have less planning. Yes. <laughs> okay. Yes. What else? Yes. Uh, I would have, uh, listened to my guts earlier because you know, this concept about being the bottleneck in the business, this is something that I had seven years ago when I started and then I doubted myself and then I lost myself for three, four years and then I came back, I came back to it. And because it just, just makes sense. This is, you know, this is, this is me, but it would have helped me so much. In all, in all my, uh, my, my, my messaging, my communication, it also helped me being bolder. And that's the third thing I would do, I would do differently is that I would be 
a lot bolder. There you go. That's some real wisdom. Yes. Also, <laughs> oh, that's great. Those are great answers to the question. Thank you, Coach. <laughs> I have I have uh, one last question for you. Uh, this is my favorite question. Taking all your experience, what is the one practical recommendation you would give to other entrepreneurs? Easy. Mm-hmm. I cannot stress enough that nobody knows what they're doing. Nobody. And it actually gets worse as you get higher up the totem pole, not because they're stupider, but because there's just less accountability. As you get higher up, because there's other people to clean up their messes, like if nobody knows exactly what they're doing and everyone's making it up, like you have mostly just a good chance to everybody else. Like it might be harder because you might not have the right connections or the right opportunities, but I cannot stress enough that nobody has like everybody who you think looks like they have a playbook or whatever is a fucking tire fire inside the organization, inside their brain, inside their family. Like you are much closer from a talent level and ability level than everybody else out there, even if it doesn't seem so. So why not you? Amazing. And then my last question. Yeah. How can people uh, reach out to you? Yeah. Uh, Brandon at birthday.app. Uh, it'll do a plug again in a second. Or BK Senior, uh, like B is in boy, K is in kite senior on any of the social channels yeah and then please download birthday app like uh you can find us at birthday.app or in any of the app stores and we're free download it if you i'll tell you what if you like your friends and you think you are the best friend you possibly could be or you're a better you could be a better spouse or you could be a better son or a better husband or a better sibling then download it if you don't think you can be better in any relationship stay away from our <laughs> yeah. and not not everyone is your customer <laughs> yeah exactly but i still yet to find somebody who could have be a better one in um but check us out we're free we bring joy um and it's it seems like a really simple idea but like the we're just here to make you more connected like give you an excuse to reach out to the person you want to talk to in your family give you an excuse to make them feel good and you know kind of the other upside is the more these birthday wishes and the more the reach outs you do, the more likely you're going to get them back in the future. So check us out, birthday.app. We're free. We're in the app stores, birthday.app, birthday.app. Thank you. Great pitch, man. Very easy to talk to, man. I love it. <laughs> it, was, it was a pleasure. It was a pleasure to have you on, uh, on the show. Thank you. Yeah. The pleasure was all mine. I love talking about this stuff and you clearly have a lot of passion for helping people be the best. I told you before we kind of jumped on the recording, the great passion for helping people be kind of the best version of themselves. So thank you. Thank you. And, and thank you for listening. I hope you found the insight and tips Brandon shared today with us. Very helpful to tackle your own bottlenecks. Don't forget to tune in next time for more inspiring stories and expert advice. Until then, subscribe to the podcast. That way you won't miss any future episodes. I see you next time. Bye for now.